listening to Get Real KC with Jen and Eric. Kansas City's consumer-facing real estate podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Get Real KC, where we are overflowing with a passion for all things real estate. I'm Eric Jurgensen. And I'm Jen Justice. And today we're excited to share with you the fourth installment in our home selling series, Show Me the Money. Show me the money. We're going to talk about all the big money concerns. Let's start at least conceptually with the biggest one, which is I'm selling my home. What do I list it for? What's your house worth, right? That's the the million dollar. No, not really the million dollar question. <laughs> well, but it's, it's hope, right? Right. Well, it could be, right? Um, we, we definitely list some homes that are upwards of a million dollars, but the average home in this area is $250,000. So when we look at, at list price, you know, we got to go to our bosses, which are our sellers, right? Well, so you did say something that was really important to make a distinction on. You said, what is my home worth? And what your home is worth is not necessarily always what you want to list it for. We're going to get into some of those details, but let's understand that housing is a commodity just like anything else. And so what a house or a home is particularly worth is is what the market will bear. It's subject to the same supply and demand competition rules as any other commodity out there. Yes. And so a couple of things that people sometimes get mixed up is I paid X amount for this house. And so therefore I should get X amount for this house. And in this particular market, that may not be an issue because housing prices are increasing substantially, right? So that's probably not the same conversation that we had 10 years ago when people may have overpaid for a house and then had to sell it and the market had decreased. But it's irrelevant whether you paid a dollar for that house or a million dollars for that house when we go to see what the market will bear. Right. That's a tough pill to swallow. It's one of the two things that absolutely absolutely does not matter when you're trying to value your own home, right? What you bought it for. Unfortunately, you could be upside down in that house and that has nothing to do with the current value. The other thing that has nothing to do with the current value is how much you currently owe on it, which could be different than what you bought it for. You could have uh, refinanced it and taken some equity out of it, uh, of your loan to do home improvements or whatever. So what you owe on it also doesn't matter. Yeah. So when we're looking at how much you owe, obviously we do take that into account when you go to sell it because we want to make sure we can educate you up front if there is going to be a shortfall. You know, short sales used to be really popular when the 2008 housing crisis happened. We did a lot of short sales. They're painful and we don't, uh, nobody loves to do a short sale, right? The, the seller, the buyer, the agent. However, sometimes that is a necessary evil. So that happens when there is a shortfall on the amount you can get for the home versus you owe more than you can get. So we have those discussions with you about what you owe on your home so that if there is a shortfall, we can make a plan for that up front. Absolutely. Let's jump into those those two distinct conversations we mentioned earlier. The first one is, what's the value of my home? And the second one is, what do I list my home at? So let's talk about the value of your home, because there's some places where people go for that value, a very common one, right? The most popular, probably real estate site out there is Zillow, uh, and they have those estimates. And then other sites have things similar to that. Let's talk about those for a second. Yeah, so, you know, when Zillow entered the market, it was interesting because they they did a good thing in that I think they made some information available. However, the 
accuracy of the information is up for debate. As a matter of fact, they've been sued over the Zestimate because when somebody goes to Zillow and they see that Zestimate on their home, they can't see that busy street. They can't see that tremendous hill in the backyard that may decrease the home's value. So depending on what that looks like, Zestimate-wise, it could be good, it could be bad. So yeah, they can't it, it's see not the rehab reliable. work that was done. Right. It, they can't see any of that. So unfortunately, that's not a reliable method. I know there's all kinds of different technological ways that can try and value a home, but the God's honest truth is somebody really has to lay eyes on it. So here's a case in point of a house I have under contract right now. The Zestimate has changed from the day we listed it to today, which is about two weeks since uh, it was originally listed. The Zestimate has changed over 30%. Wow. Yeah, it, it really has. It was crazy. And and it, it would change two and three times a day because my client was just curious and kept an eye on it. And I wonder where, you know, Zillow has lots of different ways to draw data and it, it ultimately is getting data driven from consumers. Consumers going to the site, looking at the consumer that comes to the site and everything else. I don't know how that's playing into the home value. I've been to Zillow headquarters in Seattle and seen some of the different pieces that they have. So it's going in a lot of different ways. But again, unfortunately, sometimes it can be accurate. Sometimes it can be close. But as a rule, it's not. So if it's not, then how do real estate agents ascertain a good quality value of a home when they're trying to counsel their clients about listing? You know, we're going to come in through the MLS, which is the system that we have access to, the multi-list system, and we're going to look at comparable homes. And comparable homes would be homes that are currently under contract pending or homes that have recently sold. And we're going to look at probably the last six months, although in this hot market that we're in, fire, 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 like like literally streaks of fire burning down the street, it's so hot. We're going to look at the last 90 days and maybe even the last 30 days because sales data is changing. The market is increasing consistently in our area. And so we're going to look, and first we're going to look in that neighborhood. You know, we're going to look on that street. We're going to look right around there. We're going to expand out to the zip code if we need to, but we're going to really look at that sold data to give our clients good information. And I always like to sit down and go through the multi-list and look at the photos. Let's look at the inside. And sometimes we even go tour homes to see how they compare, what they look like, what are the similarities, what are the upgrades this home has versus the other home? Is this one have a sub-basement? Some of this you can see from photos. Some of this you can get from the MLS data, but sometimes you actually got to see it. Absolutely. And, and actually that's a, um, a tactic that I frequently use as we're getting ready to list a home is I encourage my sellers to go look at the homes that are nearby, particularly any open houses. Um, but we take all of this information and there's there's a whole set of, of uh, steps that you can take to create uh, some kind of competitive market analysis for your client. And that includes the assessment of, okay, this house is very similar, but it has one less bedroom. So you have one more bedroom. So how do we adjust the value of that particular comparable to a similar home, but with one more bedroom or X number of square feet or this feature or that feature? And it's could either be moving up or down in value, depending on whether you have more or less features. Yes. And as a realtor, we have great resources from National Association of Realtors, NAR, that give us 
estimates for our area, like estimates for an additional bedroom, estimates for an additional garage, because they they vary by region. They vary by, you know, um, where it's at in the country and and just even neighborhoods. So we can kind of look neighborhood to neighborhood in our area to get those. But, you know, on average, a bedroom in our area is going to be around the $10,000 mark, give or take the size of the bedroom, give or take if that's a master bedroom, all of those different types of things. But we have the resources to look to see what it's worth in our area. All right, excellent. So we've gone through this process with our realtor to find out what the home's value is. That's a different question than what I list my home at. So, uh, but before we jump into that, because one of, I, I think, I don't know that I'm aware of anybody who's ever listed their home. I, it's not true. I'm aware of it. I don't know that I've had a client or uh, have been involved with a client that didn't want to improve their home somewhat. Like, well, I want to list it, but I have to, and at a minimum, that's usually clean and declutter. But frequently, that's a lot more like, I know there's a problem in uh, the back door not closing properly, and I need to get that fixed, or I need to clean up, you know, the dog scratches or whatever it is. So there's always work that people feel feel like they need to get done on their home before they actually start showing their home. Let's talk about that. So conceptually, let's just talk about the ROI, return on investment for upgrading your home. You know, and again, that's something that we use our National Association of Realtors tools for. There are specific projects like a new garage door, a new front door, a new master bathroom remodel, a new kitchen remodel. These are just some of the examples. However, you don't need to go that extensive usually to get more money. But if you have a dilapidated home, it's you know, important to look at if I upgrade this, what's it going to bring in versus if I leave this and I sell this as is, which we totally understand a lot of sellers actually don't want to do anything. So we have, you know, the seller like you talked about that comes in and they're like, yeah, you know, I've got 50,000 things I need to do before I list my house. And you and I come in and go, okay, you only have to do about 25 of those, right? So we, we cut it down because usually the expectation of the seller is different than what the market is going to desire or what the market is going to make happen, especially in this day and age. So it's very important to discuss that with your realtor up front, but you could look at things like my front door is all chipped, cracked, and maybe it just needs a coat of paint, but then you could completely upgrade it and change the face of it. And it may net you an extra five grand. So there is the financial aspect of it, which I think you've put very well. It's it's simply a math problem. If I don't do any of these things to my home, what can I expect to get for it? If I do these things to my home, what's it going to cost me in time and money? And then what's the new expectation? And then you can just get, sit down and do the math. So if I put $5,000 into this home uh, replacing carpet, am I going to get the entire $5,000 back? And and so that's, that's a simple question, uh, of course, clearly based on guesstimates. But there's another aspect to that, which is, the sellability of your home, uh, frequently referred to as curb appeal, although technically that's very specifically from the outside. But it's the idea of if I don't do this, will it turn off buyers regardless of the financial equation? Yeah. And of course, the aesthetics are going to play into any home that sells. Any person that comes in where there's fresh paint and new carpet, we all know that's going to be more appealing than walking into the home that has 500,000 scuffs on the walls and smells like dog pee. 
So uh, the, the the real trick is to to, uh, to get an idea of where you're going to fit in that. And in our current market here in Kansas City, one of the things that happens with these uh, nice, nicely done, high quality, affordable homes, you know, in that sort of 150 to 300 range is if these are done well, you can get yourself in a multiple offer situation and multiple offer situations routinely significantly benefit the seller. Yes, they do benefit the seller, but there are a lot of um, hurdles that, you know, you need the realtor to navigate you through in regards to multiple offers. And let's face it, that can kind of get overwhelming for the seller. So as the realtor, we're presenting 10 to 15 offers sometimes and going through those and sending those to our seller for review or sitting down at the kitchen table with them. And they're like, holy cow, like this is crazy. And it's kind of um, very mind boggling to a seller to, to deal with all that. And it's a great position to be in, but it's also one to recognize that, listen, selling your home or buying a home is stressful, regardless of having multiple offers. So you just kind of have to take it all in and get that trusted realtor to walk you through these offers and discuss the pros and cons. Absolutely, it is. And I think it's a an important thing to point out that uh, as a realtor, if you... Um, if you are in a situation where you believe you're going to end up in multiple offers. So what hopefully your realtor is doing is they're prepping you. They're saying, here's what's going to happen. Here's how we're going to handle it. Um, you know, or there's two or three choices on how to handle it. Do you have a preference? This is, you know, the one that I found most successful. That's the sort of the way I do it. And then I present the data to them in a very clean way as we go through the offers. That's really important. And I'm a big fan of something called upfront contracts. It's actually a sales, uh, effective sales development tool. But what that means is I'm going to tell you upfront what our expectations will be so that neither one of us are um, mutually mystified, right? So we're going to talk about these things upfront and just be you know, very good at communication, making sure we walk through these together. And ultimately, again, as the seller, you're the boss. Right. So we've definitely suggested to you that your realtor needs to be involved in these conversations to help you ascertain whether or not uh, the things that you're planning on doing make sense, both from an ROI perspective and from that sort of aesthetics perspective as well. But when you're sitting down at with all of this information, and then you're going, okay, I need to list my house at $265,900. Um, you are the boss. And there are cynics out there that will say, well, a realtor is looking at the same data I'm looking at in terms of comparables, et cetera, and they're just making a guess. And the reality is, you're absolutely right. They are. The difference is, is that it's a highly educated guess if you have the right realtor. So uh, it's, it's definitely an educated guess. And But you are the boss. You can take that. Now, we run into clients who say, um, my house is worth $310,000 because this backyard is amazing and I have access to a lake and et cetera, et cetera. And the realtor knows that that house probably is worth much closer to $275,000. So that's not an uncommon thing to be very proud. Or it's a great thing to be very proud of where you live and the home you have. But sometimes uh, clients demand that it gets listed at a much higher level than the realtor is comfortable with. The realtor is pretty confident it won't sell at that level. So don't be shocked if you're coming in with that sort of demand that your realtor will say, I'm probably not the right realtor for you. Either that or, you know, we can always discuss those pros and cons. So, you know, there, there really isn't 
I don't think a, a tremendous pro to overlisting or overpricing a home. Um, I guess some agents out there might disagree with me on that, but I doubt it. But there's really not a good set of pros for overpricing a home and then letting it sit on the market, especially in the current economic environment that we're in of this fire down the street hotness, right? So you, you really have to discuss that. And, and that's what we strive to do is talk to our clients about why we are going with the pricing strategy, looking at their particular situation and their goals, and then making sure that all of the stars align so that we can help them on this journey. You know, sometimes, and, and this might be in higher end homes only or homes with very unique features, there is an argument for, because then your ranges become pretty significant. Um, if you have this, uh, like in a situation of a home I sold last year, this this un unbelievable bar that was built in this home uh, and it was and it had a collapsible wall and it truly was a, a separate pub experience it was it was amazing and so the the choice was do I do I list this sort of where most of the homes of this type are going or do I list it much higher because of this this you know $40,000 bar pub that had been built in this house and so then you need to be discussing that risk and reward. So if you list it for absolute top dollar, you've got a pretty narrow market of people that are willing to pay that. And if it doesn't occur, then you suffer the consequences of having been on the market for a while, having to drop the price and possibly getting a stigma that there's something beyond wrong with your house beyond that it was just overpriced. And that's a great point, Eric, is that the higher you price a home, the smaller your market becomes. So the same number of people cannot afford a $500,000 home that can afford a $400,000 home and a $300,000 home. And so it's important to understand those tiers when you're looking at pricing. And when you get up to those different numbers, it's important to look at what your market is. And we actually have some tools as agents that we can go in and see what price point people are looking at and how many people and everything. And we can share that with our sellers to get them the best data. So when you're looking at what's my list price, one of the things you have to understand is, is that your agent doesn't sell your home. <laughs> let's let not exactly. Let's, but let's back kinda. up on that. Your agent isn't buying your home is really what I wanted to say. So one of the things you need to understand is, is that your agent isn't buying your home. If you're shopping just to find out what an agent will tell you what they think your list is, um, you're, you're setting yourself up for some trouble because a good realtor is gonna go through this entire process with you and make you uh, uh, give you the tools to truly understand what the market's doing and what a good list price is, depending on exactly what your goals are. So we haven't really talked about that a little bit because that's a big part of the strategy of listing your price. I'd say that most common goal is I want the most money out of my home. Yeah, the most money in the least amount of time, which is great. We strive for that. But ultimately, there are some folks that have very unique homes. For example, we have a, a listing coming on the market probably before the end of this year, well into over the million dollar range because it's on 40 acres. It has an in-ground pool with the zero entry, all of these unique features in a unique area with a 300 by 200 shop. I'm calling some of this from memory. But these kind of homes are going to require a different kind of strategy and also come with a different set of goals likely. So there's unique situations like that. But ultimately, most people want the highest dollar amount in that 30 day window or 45 day window. That's a pretty common timeline for sellers. 
some other unique scenarios, uh, people that need to sell quickly and price isn't the top goal, quick speed is. So potentially they've uh, been uh, moved for their work. Uh, they're in the military and they're having to move. Um, in some scenarios, uh, like I'm one I'm working with right now, it's really about moving into a multi-generational scenario to care for somebody in their family. So, you know, taking that time to clean everything up and fix it up may not be near as valuable to you as getting out from underneath the house as quickly as possible so you can make those adjustments in your life. Yeah, in this particular scenario, I mean, we talked about the iBuyer on a previous one, which is kind of like um, a cash buyer, right? That's essentially like, hey, I can get a quick cash offer in 10 days and close really, really quickly but we know that that's going to come at a cost. So you're not gonna have that traditional 30 days where you're looking for the residential retail buyer that is willing to pay market value for the home. But of course it fits all kinds. We've got all kinds of buyers and sellers out there that we work with and these are just a few of the different scenarios. So we've agreed on a list price, and one of the important things I think to do at that point is to work uh, as a seller is to understand what that means when it's all said and done about how much cash you're going to receive. Yeah, how much am I going to walk away with here, right? Good question. Right. So seller's estimated proceeds is a sheet that I love to go over with my sellers just so that, again, we're all on the same page. And if any questions arise at the end, like sometimes they do, we're looking at the HUD at the end, you know, we're going through. The, the title process and the closer has sent that uh, document and they had a question and we refer back to that and say, oh, this is where we went over this and talked about this. And frequently there's so many steps in this process that they may have forgotten this. It, it literally is that complex of a deal, right? So we go through that seller's estimated net proceeds and we look at what costs we're expecting throughout this transaction. You know, title fees, deed fees, release fees, homeowners, homeowners association transfer fees if we need to. What are the commissions? What are my closing costs? And then how much is my loan so that I can figure out what is my actual equity position in my house? What will I be walking with after this sale? That's a really, really important question, right? That's the show me the money. How much money is it going to, when we close on this, somewhere along the way, somebody's going to put a whole bunch of money in my bank account if, well, I'm, if I'm in a good equity position. Right, absolutely. And so exactly, how much can I expect? Now, this will tie into sort of the next thing I want to talk about, which is a lot of times we need to know that because we're buying another house. Absolutely. And so we've got to know what our down payment looks like. And, you know, the fun thing is that title can usually transition that very seamlessly for our buyers and sellers that they can put that right into their next transaction. But that is frequently why a seller needs to know what they're walking away with. It's because we've got a down payment. We're looking at moving to another home and we've got to know how much we can put into that next house to get it. Let's talk just a little bit. Let's finish up with talking a little bit about um, sort of that whole concept of having homes bought and sold in a chain. We call that contingencies. And let's talk Dominoes. about the, the domino Dominoes. effect. Let's talk about how that, uh, that works just briefly, but then we'll talk a little bit about how that can affect your money beyond what we just mentioned. Right. So a contingency contract is simply a contract where somebody says, I would like to buy your home but it's based on the sale of my home. So as a seller, you look at that contract and there's pluses and minuses to it. You may also, as a seller, have a contingency contract out on another home, the one you're getting prepared to buy. And you might say, I can't really buy this home 
unless mine sells. So you've then put a contingency contract on somebody else's home. And you can imagine if people are doing this, you can create this domino chain, as you mentioned. And I don't know, what's the what's the what's the broadest number of dominoes you've ever worked with? Four. Four. But I, that's pretty stressful. I mean it just is. I did a three. So yeah, four. I'm sure I'm sure we'll find some some realtors over the period over time that come in and visit us that have probably done even longer chains. Yeah, it's it's a very complicated process of making sure everyone is communicating very openly and frequently and making sure that all of the pieces are falling into effect. But I know we've talked a little bit about contingency on some of our other podcasts, but it never hurts to remind people about this because it's a pretty common theme in real estate that is very complicated. One of the things that happens, and the reason we're talking about this when we talk about money, is one of the things that happens when you're accepting an offer on your home and it has a contingency, you can expect an offer to be a little bit higher because they know contingencies are challenging and difficult and can fall through. And they want to be able to give you a premium for your home in consideration for you taking that risk and going through that 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 tough Process. I have even seen some buyers offer non-refundable earnest money just as a promise because they know that it's a realistic thing that it could fall through in one way or another. And they want the home so much that they're willing to promise the seller, look, I'll give you this money either way. I know you're going to be taking a risk if you take my offer on my contingency, but here is some non-refundable earnest money so that my offer is more attractive. And there's lots of different contingencies, you know, appraisal contingencies, inspection contingencies, all kinds of different ones that we're going to talk about and educate all the consumers about through our podcast here. All right. So there you have it. Overall, you have to essentially ask yourself three questions. One is, what is the value of my home? And two is, what do I want to list it for? The third question helps you answer the second. What are my goals? You should be working with your trusted real estate professional who should be giving you all the tools and educated opinions about what's going on in the market to help you make these decisions. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, this is an exciting time. Real estate's super exciting right now. So make sure you're reaching out to a realtor if you're thinking about buying or selling a home. Don't forget to tune in next time in our fifth and final installment in the Home Seller Series, where we talk about everything that happens from contract to close. Until then. You have been listening to Get Real KC with Eric Jurgensen and Jen Justice. For more information or to contact our hosts, visit us at dreamhomesbygen.com where you can find more episodes exploring real estate as it matters to you.